see if you notice how I dressed down. But second reason, we are in Ruth chapter 4 today. And that's my intro for you to encourage all of you to open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4 today. And in Ruth, we're going to see something a little weird. Where back in this time, it was customary during a legal agreement to take off one sandal or flip-flop as the case may be. I was afraid it might make flip-flop sounds as I'm walking around. But, or a flip-flop, a sandal, and hand it to the other party. That was almost like them signing an agreement. So yes, to my wife, who's probably embarrassed for me at home right now, thinking, why is he wearing sandals with a suit? Yes, it was a sermon illustration. We're talking about Ruth chapter 4. And there's some weird stories in this, some weird ideas in it. But it is an amazing section of God's word. All of God's word is amazing in purpose and beneficial for helping us, for growing us closer to God and to grow us closer to one another and to help us through this life as we look forward to the hope that we have of eternal life with him. So I hope you're all tuning in or turning in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to kick that hand sanitizer bottle out of the way so I don't accidentally step on it. That would be very bad. And I hope you're able to see that song that we started with. I was listening to that song on my way into the, the church this morning. I just couldn't help but sing it. In fact, I looked around this, this well, congregation. Yes, we're congregating together, a few of us. And everyone here, I think, was singing that song together. And what a great reminder that despite everything going on, <coughs> excuse me, allergies, um, despite everything going on, he still loves us, and he's still actively involved in all of our lives. Today, we continue with this story of redeeming love found in Ruth. Actually, we're going to be finishing this story, finishing this book of redeeming love today, talking about Ruth, a story of life, death, feast, and famine, love, and loss and love regained. This is a story for those who think that their ordinary lives don't matter. As we see the ordinary life of Ruth, a Moabite, and how it matters not just to Naomi, not just to Boaz, but how it matters in the lineage of Christ. Tragic beginnings may lead to unexpected blessings. That's what we talked about in Ruth chapter 1. As we saw this great famine hitting the land. And Naomi and her husband Elimelech and her two sons having to leave their country. Leave their home. Leave everything behind. They had hard times. They had tragic beginnings in a new area, a new country of Moab. Tragic beginnings with a hard journey. But not just that, then her husband dies, Elimelech dies, leaving her with her two sons who marry. But eventually, you know what happens? They die too. Now they're married, but no children at this time to speak of. No children. So Naomi's left with Ruth, her daughter-in-law, and Orpah, her other daughter-in-law. And for 10 years, I don't know exactly how this all plays out, but for 10 years, until finally the famine is lifted in their home country, in Naomi's home country of Israel, and they're able to return home. But we leave with this great idea in Ruth chapter 1 of unexpected blessings may come out of tragic beginnings. 
And Ruth turns out to be this unexpected blessing to Naomi, as she would not leave her side, even though it could be miserable for her in this new country, away from her friends, away from her family, away from her home country. Moabites were not naturally loved in Israel. They were like enemies. But she followed Naomi, and she stayed faithful to her new God, the one true God. That leads us into chapter 2. In chapter 2, we move from seeing Ruth and Naomi's tragic beginnings to see Ruth and Naomi seeking the kindness of God. And they they, they were seeking the kindness of God through the fields as Ruth was gleaning and trying to get food. They They were living in poverty at this point in this new country, trying to build back up their life. And Ruth went to these fields to glean and just happened to stroll along the field of Boaz. Boaz would be this man that would deliver the kindness of God to Ruth and Naomi. But despite all all this kindness being delivered, there was a lot of hard times. There was hard work leaning. It was was not exactly known as an honorable God, uh, an honorable job either. But this leads us into chapter 3, and bear with me, we're getting to chapter 4, but it's been a few weeks. I wanted to catch you up here. In chapter 3, week 3, we move from seeking to finding. We talked about not just finding kindness, but finding rest. As Ruth and Naomi now moved to now seek Boaz, to seek redemption. Ruth would take it into her own hands and take action because it had been possibly months at this point. The harvest was coming to an end. Boaz had not yet proposed to her or or seeked on his own part marriage or redemption. So Ruth would go to the threshing floor at night, based off Naomi's recommendation, to plead with him to cover her with the edge of his cloak, the the corner of his wings, the, the corner of his cloak, which basically means redeem me, marry me, bring, provide for me. Now... Again, each chapter has these tragic things happening, these setbacks happening, to where it looks great, but we don't immediately see this, this message of hope being, being portrayed. We don't have this romantic scene, safe romantic, biblical romantic scene, coming to an end here just yet. As Boaz promises and gives her hope that I will provide for you, I will bring you rest, and I will do it today... He also tells her, but there is another closer redeemer, and I must go to him first. But let me tell you this, guys, and this is just great. Boaz wastes no time in doing this. Boaz wastes no time. This brings us to chapter 4 now. In chapter 4, we see this, this new idea come in. And see if my remote works here. Let's go to that next slide. My remote's not working. But... We see this new idea, and this isn't a biblical idea. This is a common sense idea. Chapter 4 brings us to an end. We are in the final scenes of Ruth. And I just found this quote, and there's some debate on whether Dr. Seuss really said it or not, but either way, it's an amazing quote that says, Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. I hope that's how you feel today as we finish up this story, this study in Ruth. And we could have spent so much more time. We could still continue with more time today. But let's just smile that it happened. I don't know about you, but I have 
I have found great joy in this book, some new knowledge in this book study. And I hope you'll join me in looking now, because we, we can't go forward without looking now to what are some applications that we can bring to our life. What, what does this whole book of Ruth actually say to us? What does it speak into our life? We should be applying God's word to our life, not just reading it for knowledge, but reading it so that we can take action in our life and based off our faith in God, just like Ruth took action with her faith and trusted God, we need to do the same. And here's one thing that I think we should remember as we apply this to our life. Here it is. I hope you're listening. The best is yet to come. Let me read to you just an illustration about this I found in, from another pastor. And this is an amazing story to help illustrate this application. He says this. I would suggest as the main lesson... I would suggest as the main lesson, the life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. Let me repeat that again if you're taking notes at home, because that's powerful. I would suggest as the main lesson from the book of Ruth, the life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, but they do get there. He goes on and he says this, the life of the godly is not an interstate through Nebraska, but a state road through the Blue Ridge Mountains of Tennessee. There are rock slides and precipices and dark mist and bears and mountain lions and slippery curves and hairpin turns that make you go backwards in order to go forwards. Maybe you've been that person before. Maybe you've gone through mountains and if you notice, I just wish there was a road that went straight up to the top because that'd take like 30 minutes if your car's engine could handle it. But... No, as you drive through the mountains, you got to wind around and around and around. Well, that's what he's getting at. He talks about life can feel the same way. You have many turns. You have many windings. You have many, you have many hairpin turns. You have many times where you feel like you're driving in fog. You're walking in the mist. You're avoiding these bears, these lions. But let's read on. He says, But all along this hazardous, twisted road... That doesn't let you see very far ahead. There are frequent signs that say the best is yet to come. Picture that. As you're driving through the mountains, as you're driving through these, these hard times of life, every once in a while you see this sign along the edge of the road saying, don't give up yet. Don't stop now because the best is yet to come. And at the bottom right corner written... With an unmistakable hand are the words that say, As I live, says the Lord. As I live, says the Lord. And that's a quote from Boaz. I hope you know from Boaz chapter 3. As I live, as I live, I will make sure you find rest. As I live, I will make sure you find redemption. As I live, I will make sure you get provided for. That's what God's telling us. As I live, says the Lord, this is a promise from the Lord that we can find help and redemption and salvation through him. And the best is yet to come. You see, the book of Ruth is one of those signs that you, that you read. It was written and it has been preached to give you some encouragement and hope 
that all the perplexing turns in your life lately are not dead-end streets. In all the setbacks of your life as a believer, God is plotting for your joy. God will work all things out for the good of his people and for the good of his plan. And no matter how much you feel like things are coming to an end, no matter how much you feel like things are disastrous, no matter how much you wish you were just on that straight line highway to heaven or to, to help, you're not alone. God is still with you. God is still in control. And the best is yet to come. Let's read from Ruth chapter 4 now. And please follow along with me at home in your Bibles or listen to my voice. I do not have it on the screen, and I apologize for that. But Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, my friend, sit down here. Now, I'm going to try not to interject or say too much as I read. We'll give the commentary after we get done reading. But I do want to set this up a little bit. So Boaz and Ruth in chapter 3 were at the threshing floor. Ruth was pleading with him to marry her, to redeem her, to provide for her and Naomi. And Boaz left the scene at that end with, with Ruth leaving and with Boaz promising her that there is another closer redeemer, but I will go to the gate in the morning. I will go to the gate this day and plead for you. Here we are. Boaz is to the gate. Now, some people might think, what is the meaning of this gate? What do they mean? Does he, like, go to his backyard gate? Does he go to the gate that surrounds the fields that they're gleaning in? What does this mean? Why wouldn't he go to the courthouse or the temple? Why didn't he just go to this closer relative's home and talk to him in the living room? Or why didn't he go to him to talk to this closer relative, this closer redeemer, in the back alley of the city with a gun or a knife holding to him and saying, Hey, give up your rights because I want Ruth. Well, there's a few reasons there. First of all, Boaz is an honorable, worthy, godly man, and he wants to do this the right way, the legal way. And he's not going to do anything that is not God-honoring. So that handles that second far-fetched idea I threw out there. But the first thing, they go to the gate because in this time, Israel and Bethlehem and these cities all, all around back then, really, were very close-knit cities. All the buildings were very close together, and they did not have a city a town square or a courthouse in the middle of the town like what a lot of cities do today. Their gatherings and their legal proceedings, and even when somebody, say in the New Testament like Paul, would come into the city to address the city, they would often do it at the city gates, the entrance to the city. So here's where we're set up now. Boaz, the day of, the morning of, I don't think he wastes any time. I think Ruth leaves his side. In the moment he's dressed, he's ready, he prepares for battle in a way, he puts on the clothes they needed, he goes to that gate and he waits for that closer redeemer to walk by because that was the daily ritual. People would walk in and out of that gate all day. Let's read on. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said to this closer redeemer, Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. 
Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab. I'm sorry. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to a relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. Now notice, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but notice he doesn't at first tell her about Ruth, him about Ruth. He just brings to this, uh, this man the idea of this possible cheap land, this opportunity of getting something good, something simple. I mean, who wouldn't want to just accept this, this possibility of getting this inheritance or this cheap land from your brother or your close relative that had passed away. But let's read on. He says, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. So he's already setting the stage here that if the closer redeemer does not want this, please tell me because I want it before it goes to anybody else or before it, before it just goes to auction or before it just falls away to whoever just, just happens to sit in place and steal it. He says, I want it. But he still has not mentioned the name of Ruth. And this closer redeemer, he said, I will redeem it. Verse 5, then Boaz said, and you can imagine Boaz, now maybe he's happy because his good plan's coming together, but maybe his face, his smile's kind of going away. Maybe his tone is starting to change because Obviously, you'd want him to just say, no, Boaz wants to inherit this land. Boaz wants to buy this land. Boaz wants to redeem and marry Ruth and provide for Ruth and Naomi. But he says, then Boaz said, oh, by the way, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. It's almost like, oh, I forgot to tell you. There's some fine print here. There's some more things to take into consideration. It's not just about getting this land. You're also going to have this Ruth to marry, this woman to marry, to provide for. The widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Verse 6, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Wow, isn't that crazy how fast it flip-flops there? He was all excited to get this land, to get extra property. I mean, think of yourself, maybe, um, and maybe this is morbid, but think of a family member that passes away, and in their will they say, I want to offer my, my Ferrari, my Mustang, my diesel F-350 pickup truck, whatever your favorite type of vehicle is, I want, to, I want to give this to my closest relative when I pass away. Oh, and give them my house too. They need to pay for it, but uh, let's say like five bucks. Let's, let's just, we want to keep it in the family. Well, you're going to say yes to that right away. But then there's fine print that says, well, if they take that, they also need to take this, take that, take this, take that. Well, this man all of a sudden realizes, wow, this, this is getting a little bit more complicated. There's a lot more responsibility than what I first thought of. So he says to Boaz, take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He gives it up. This is what Boaz wanted. Now, verse 7 says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. 
to confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So, verse 8, So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Are you able to focus while I'm taking off my sandal? I don't know. I can't read while I take off my sandals. Yes, this pastor is getting barefoot in the pulpit. This is going to go viral on YouTube, all, all you. Hey, Mr. Lee, come up here. I promise, I, I took a shower, I washed my feet. Um, here, there's some hand sanitizer. Let me give you my sandal. Here, fist bump. It's good doing business with you. Thank you. Wow, this feels awkward. I'm just saying this right now. But verse 8 says, So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Now what this means, I, I don't think this means that Boaz now all of a sudden has this property and has Ruth. The deal is not done. But what this means is that this closer redeemer is giving up his right as the closest redeemer to this property and to Ruth. And he says, here is my legal binding document. Here is my agreement saying, it's yours. It's now your opportunity to do with it as you please. And he gave that up. As we read on now, Boaz, and you can imagine this great big smile coming in his face. He's getting what he wants. Yes! Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, so there were more people, more witnesses. Picture this like a courtroom. As they call people together, they have Boaz, they have the closest redeemer. They have the judges, the elders of the town, sitting. And they have witnesses who have come to see what's going on here at the gates this morning. Is this a snake oil salesman, an infomercial, or what? They have people watching, and he says, You are witnesses this day, this is Boaz speaking, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. So he's, the deal has now proceeded forward, and, and he's now trying to make things official and the wit, bring it before the witnesses. And all that belonged to Chilion and Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Yes, you heard that right. Things were weird back then, a lot different. You might not like the idea that he bought her to be his wife, but this was just how legal proceedings would happen because they weren't, they weren't most interested in that love, that romantic type of love for the wife right here. They just wanted to make sure that their name, for instance, Pastor Patrick Rhodes, I want to make sure my name carries on. They want to make sure their property was carried on within the family, kept in the family. They wanted to make sure their wife and kids, if, if so, were provided for. That's what's going on here. But I do think it's different for Boaz. He really loved her too. And he says, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Court case done. Court case ended. And now he starts to hear the other side. And he, these people say, And then all the people were at the gate, and the elders said, We are witnesses. Stamp of approval. Done. We'll file the paperwork. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. They're, they're now giving them a great blessing. 
May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. They're praying a blessing for Ruth to have a baby and for this baby to bring, be brought up as a great renowned person, renowned name, for them to have a great lineage to come and for Boaz and Ruth's name to mean much as well. I, I could go on with that for so much more, but let's finish this reading. It's verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Some trans translations say his his caretaker, his nurse, his, um, there's other words. In verse 17, and the woman of the neighborhood, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Okay, confusion. Naomi did not bear the son. This was Ruth, Ruth and Boaz's baby. But she now has a, a child in her name, in her life, to continue on her name and to redeem even her and restore the life to her. This woman, who in the chapter 1 said, change my name to Mara to mean bitter, has now come full circle. Her life has been restored to be reconsidered the pleasant one. And the woman of, women in the neighborhood then gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. And that is King David. And if you follow along the lineage with me, and we'll talk more, this is the line of Christ. So the book of Ruth, it has a lot of setbacks. It has a lot of tragic beginnings, of famine, of death, of more death, of hard work leaning in the fields, which was not seen as like some glorious job. It was the poverty people, the, the people that were struggling to survive, or the people would be gleaning and getting this food. But no matter what hard road Ruth and Naomi found themselves on, they continued to have faith in God. They continued to look to His plan. Even when they recognized that this is a hard plan, they recognized God was still in control. And we too need to look to remembering God is always in control and God is always involved in our life. And we look to the end of that road, even if you can't see the end of the road because of all the windings, because of all the rock slides, all the floods, we still can see the reminders of God in our lives, like a road sign reminding us, don't give up yet, the best is yet to come. Each chapter of this book of Ruth has setbacks, but each chapter gave hope to the future of what was to come. In chapter 1, Ruth and Naomi, they're able to return to the home country of Israel because the famine has lifted. There's hope to come, despite the hard times to get there. In chapter 2, the gleaning, the hard work, trying to rebuild their life. But then still there's hope and reminders that the best is yet to come as they see Boaz come onto the scene. And I can only imagine Naomi's excitement. Boaz. Your Redeemer, He's here. 
But there's still a setback because he has not proposed yet. But he, he sets the stage and gets things started. Then we have chapter 3 of this great hope being seen in, in the threshing floor. But there's still a setback as he says, I can't redeem you yet. I need to go to the gates in the morning. I need to plead for you. Because there's a closer redeemer. But each one leaves us, leaves us with this, this idea of the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And now we have chapter 4. What a great reminder that the best truly is yet to come. You see, in chapter 4 of Ruth, see if my remote's working yet. It's not, but thank you for sound crew, for you helping, keeping things going. In chapter 4, we see fulfillment. We see four redeemers, which help us to follow this line of seeing that the best is yet to come. That starts with Boaz. We already talked about this Boaz. We talked about this great, worthy, and honorable, and godly man. Boaz is one redeemer. But then we have this second redeemer, who was this closer relative. And we don't even have a name. If you notice, if you read, there's no name for him. It's just the closer relative. This other, I'm sorry, redeemer. This closer redeemer, which would also mean relative. We have this other one. There's two differences between these two redeemers, though. You see, the, the closer relative, the closer redeemer, he was only out for his own interest. He's selfish, or he's a man that doesn't want to take on the extra responsibility of redeeming others. He's only concerned for himself, his own life, his own profit. But then we have Boaz. You see, Boaz, he cared about others. You see that from the very time he comes on the scene as he takes care of the people who are gleaning and gives them more than what they deserve or more than what they needed. And he took care of Ruth. Boaz cared so much about others that he took extra risk giving up property. Boaz cares so much about Ruth that he pleaded for her, that he promised her rest. Boaz gives us this great, great image. And let me just take a moment to talk about this of a redeemer who really matters to us. You see, Boaz does not waste time in seeking the redemption of Ruth and Naomi. He goes all the way. He takes risk. He does whatever he needs to do to make sure he's there provided for. There's another redeemer, and that's Jesus Christ. That's our redeemer, the redeemer of the world, and he also does not waste any time in looking to provide for you and all of his people. But we need to be like Ruth. We need to take initiative. And that's not about works. That's not about trying to earn our salvation. Jesus, the ultimate redeemer, has always already done that through the cross. But we need to take action, take initiative, and trust in him. Trust in him as your redeemer. Follow after him and recognize the best is yet to come. Just admit to him. Pray to him. You, and it's not about a prayer. It's just about an admission that you need him. Life is full of chaos. But chaos is not in full control. God is. God is in full control. Chaos is not all-powerful, but God is. And as the Lord lives, the best is yet to come. We need to trust God. Trust in Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord. And follow after Him. And follow after the ways He tells you is right to live. He has your best interest in mind, just like Boaz had Ruth's best interest in his mind. 
We have two redeemers listed there. We have one redeemer that cared for himself. We have one redeemer who is also a good picture of Christ, paralleling to Christ, who cared not just about himself, but about others. Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, cares about others. But then we have this third, this third redeemer, and this is the baby, the child born to Ruth and Boaz. This is Obed. You see, Obed would redeem Naomi's name. Obed would carry on that name, I should say. And Obed would create this great lineage, this great lineage, which traced down would lead to King David. And then traced down from King David leads to another baby being born in Bethlehem. And that is our final redeemer, Jesus Christ. Jesus is that fourth redeemer, but unlike the baby Obed, unlike Boaz, unlike this closer redeemer, this closer relative, Jesus had enough power to redeem all the world. Anyone who would choose to follow after him, to trust in him as Lord and Savior, to recognize the power of the cross to redeem, the power of Christ's blood, could be saved forevermore. And we, because of this, can recognize the best is yet to come. Let's catch up with my notes here because we've got some application to end with here. You see, in Mark 10, 45, and let me back up here, you see the story of redeeming love found in Ruth is a story that parallels the story of redemption in our lives and one God wants us to tell others. We need this redemption, but so do other people around us. We need to tell this story, but not just the story of Ruth, the story of Jesus. The angel said to Joseph at, before the baby Jesus' birth, to name this redeemer of the world Jesus, meaning Savior, for he would save his people from their sins. In Mark 10, 45, it says that Jesus came to save and serve others, to redeem others. The apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, speaks to us as followers of Jesus saying, you were ransomed, redeemed, paid the price for, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. In Ruth, we also see that God works through ordinary people who are willing to have faith in his plan, in God's plan. We're ordinary people, but God will do extraordinary things if we have faith in him and trust in him and follow after him. Guys, as the Lord lives... And he does live. He was victorious over the grave. Easter Sunday is coming. The best is yet to come. We need to take action today. Take action in your life. Take action for other people's lives. Be that unexpected blessing like Ruth to Naomi. Be that person like, like Boaz was to Ruth and deliver the kindness of God. Be like Boaz in chapter 3 and deliver rest, good news of great joy, good news of peace and hope and a best to come to the people around you. We need to be these people to take action for ourselves and others and remember the best is yet to come. In Romans 8.28, our sovereign God is powerfully he said to be working all things together for good for the sake of those who love him and are called together according to his purpose. Do you love Jesus? Are you looking out for his purpose in your life? 
Are you following after him? Because that's what we need to be doing. Are you looking to the hope and peace that you have in him? Then the best is yet to come. Remember this truth that chaos is not all-powerful. But God is, and we need God in our lives to help us see past these winding roads, past these rock slides, past the floods, past the pandemics in our life. And notice, I said pandemics. You're going to have more problems arise in your life. We're going to have more problems arise in our futures, in our children's futures. And we can and should pray for these. We should pray for God's mercy and grace upon our lives, upon our children's lives, upon our community and our world. We pray for these things, but we also recognize that although chaos will be here, it's not all-powerful. God is. God is. And John Piper once said... Ruth, the book of Ruth, was written to help us see the signpost of the grace of God in our lives and to help us trust His grace even when the clouds are so thick that we can't see the road. God helps us see through all of these problems with a hope that can't be washed away, a peace brought to our life that cannot be swiped away by anything. The story of Ruth points forward to David. David points forward to Jesus. And Jesus points forward to the resurrection of our mortal bodies. Romans 8.23 says, When death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I'm sorry, Revelation 21.4. The best is yet to come. That is the unshakable truth that we know today about the life of the woman and the man who follow Christ in the obedience of faith. In the life of Boaz and Ruth, we see this great reminder that the best is yet to come. We have a redeemer of the world who comes through the lineage of Ruth and Boaz. And with all the news of COVID-19, of the flu, of illnesses, of cancer, of tumors, of any struggle that you have in your life, I know I just mentioned medical things, but any struggle in your life, you can still depend on God to give you hope and peace. Let's tell people about that. Let's tell people about Jesus. In a world where the news is controlled with COVID-19, with sports news, there's so much of your newspaper dedicated to sports. Let's take a little bit of control back. And I like sports, too. I'm not trying to say there shouldn't be any sports. Don't tune out now. But let's tell people about Jesus. Let's tell people that chaos is not all-powerful, but God is. And the best is yet to come. You see, when the moral and spiritual chaos all around and within seems overwhelming, we need to never despair. Because a baby has been born in Bethlehem. Light has come into this world. And the darkness never has and never will be able to put it out. John 1.5 Praise the Lord. He is in control. Let's pray. Jesus, you redeem your people. You have paid the ransom for our sins through the cross. You have made a new contract, a new way to eternal life based off love and grace. Your love and grace. You have paid the price and redeemed us and made a way to have hope and peace and life forevermore. And you remind us, you are these signposts that remind us that the best is yet to come. 
I pray now that people would hear the news of hope and would grasp it, follow after it, follow you in obedience, and as Lord and Savior of their lives, I pray for you to be their Redeemer. I pray that they take, the, take action and make the choice to follow after you today, to admit that they need help. For those that have you, Lord, I pray for them never to lose sight of the wonder of redemption. May they rejoice and not fear. May they follow you for all their life. May they seek you with all their heart. May they tell others about the great, great Redeemer, the great hope, the great peace that they have in, your, in their lives. And all God's people all around the world said,